Rātumari, welcome to First Up. It is Rāmere, that's Friday, the 22nd of July. Ko Nathan Rārere, aho. Coming up, President Biden's tested positive for COVID-19. We speak to the USA about that. Not all of them, just Bevan Hurley. New Zealand tests positive for terrible weather. Weather guru Philip Duncan tells us about the upcoming weekend. Claims that some carers are working 24 hours straight, all while trying to protect some of the most vulnerable citizens from COVID. And a popular New Zealand haunted attraction is about to get even spookier. We want to add a few new events. We've got a haunted evening tour that we're going to start doing. Friday theme for you. Atamaria, welcome to First Up. Uh, interesting Friday morning show for you today. We'll try and cover everything off and uh, hopefully uh, we can get to the bottom of what's happening with this weather because I know that so many flights go through Wellington. I know that one of the main headlines we've had is about people stuck in Wellington, but plenty of flights go through. A whole lot delayed yesterday, so we'll get to that later in the show as well as um, the unfortunate uh, return of an evil, evil little vegetable. But we begin this morning in the United States where... As you would have heard just in the bulletin there, President Biden has tested positive for COVID-19. With us now from New York is Bevan Hurley. Kia ora, Bevan. How are you? Kia ora, Nathan. Doing very well, thanks. Okay, tell me, what is the latest on the condition of the president? So, around 45 minutes ago, uh, Mr Biden tweeted a photo of himself uh, behind a desk and, and he had an upbeat message to share. He said that he was doing great and thanks everybody for their concern and he was keeping busy with meetings uh, remotely via Zoom and telephone. Um, so, the 79-year-old is, is fully vaccinated and um, he has apparently been only experiencing very mild symptoms including fatigue and a dry cough but crucially no fever. He had his second booster shot about four months ago, so he should still have um, some protection from that. Uh, the boosters aren't very effective at stopping people from contracting the uh, BA5 Omicron variant that is spreading rapidly in the US right now, but it is quite effective at preventing those severe symptoms and hospitalizations. Um, we also heard from First Lady Jill Biden. She was out and about uh, continuing on her schedule. She tested negative and was following um, protocols by wearing a mask and uh, social distancing where she could. I imagine the White House looks like an ET when they cover the whole house in plastic with that to get there. Now, the uh, the most gripping thing, I know that uh, my workmates here are just keen to get home today to watch this. The January 6th committee hearings resume today. There's always, there's a bombshell. What is this week's expected bombshell? So this is all about the 187 minutes between um, Donald Trump finishing his speech at the Ellipse where he called on his uh, mob of um, armed protesters to head to the White House, so, sorry, to the US Capitol, and the moment that he called off the rioters via a video tweet. Um, so these 187 minutes are going to be really crucial to um, proving Trump's state of mind. We're going to hear from former White House Press Secretary Sarah Matthews and former Deputy National Security Advisor Matt Pottinger, who will be able to provide a first-hand account of what Trump is doing as the mob stormed the Capitol. And they're really going to zero in on the fact that while he clearly had the ability to call them off, he really just chose, their, uh, chose to sit there and do nothing. 
We heard from um, January 6th committee member Adam Kinzinger at the weekend. He um, has obviously privy to a lot of details um, that we're going to hear about tonight. And he said that the president didn't do much but gleefully watch television during this time frame. Um, so, yeah, we've heard, you know, we've heard from um, books and some press coverage of what he was doing. But this is really going to be the first time that we're going inside the room and hearing um, first-hand accounts. Um, this was originally scheduled to be the final public hearing, Nathan, but um, the January 6th committee have indicated that they're just getting tons of new information coming in all the time, and they could hold further ones, um, particularly around September when they plan to unveil their interim findings. Well, I'm, I'm glad that they're getting a lot of uh, new information because in, apparently the Secret Service are deleting it. Um, no wonder um, no wonder Mike Pence didn't want to get into a car with them. Tell us this. doesn't look great for Secret Service, does it? Because those te- those text messages that were wiped from around this time of the insurrection have just disappeared completely, right? What's the latest there? It's it's gobsmacking on so many levels. This one, Nathan. Um, they the, the explanation from the Secret Service is that the messages over that crucial January five, January six period were wiped as part of a pre-scheduled reset of their phones. But this reset came after numerous agencies, including the January 6th House Select Committee and the Secret Service's own Inspector General had explicitly asked that the messages were preserved. Um, So Congressman um, Jamie Raskin, who is also on the um, January 6th panel, I think summed it up best when he said, I smell a rat, Um, because these communications could have provided an insight into um, A, what the um, Secret Service uh, knew about Trump's request um, that his uh, rally goers be allowed to go to the ellipse without any security checks. Um, that alleged altercation that we heard about from Cassidy Hutchinson that occurred inside Trump's motorcade. And as you mentioned, this just unexplained and just crucial detail about why Mike Pence refused to allow the Secret Service to whisk him away from the Capitol after the mob had breached its doors. Now, a Secret Service spokesman has angrily dismissed any accusations of malfeasance, but you just have to ask, you know, they're meant to be one of the most sophisticated law enforcement, cyber investigative agencies in the world, so the, the failures are really just beyond beyond comprehension. Yeah, and uh, yes, it's, uh, it is very, very gripping uh, to watch all of this and uh, we will do so. Bevan, uh, have yourself a safe weekend. Particularly to us, I saw some footage on the internet yesterday of one of those New York rats just grabbing a pigeon and dragging it off. It was, it was awful. <laughs> it was one of the incredible things. So, Bevan, stay safe. Thank you very much. There he is, folks. Live from New York City, Bevan Hurley. Honestly, it's true. Another thing he was going to talk about as well was the uh, the heat wave that's happening uh, in Arizona, too, quite north as well, past north of Flagstaff. 114 degrees Fahrenheit in a little place called Phantom Ranch. And if you're going, what is that? That's 45 degrees Celsius. Uh, it's very, very hot. I'll tell you what. Joining me now from Ghana is our correspondent, Nabil Ahmed. Uh, Salam alaikum, Nabil. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. Hey, tell us, the Ugandan government, why have they rejected compulsory adult vaccines? Well, the concerns have been that uh, individuals should have the right to decide whether they want to be vaccinated or not. And it's not just about COVID-19 vaccines. It's for general vaccination in the event of uh, a mass disease outbreak in Uganda. And the new proposed law was to make sure that there will be a compulsory vaccination for all adults when such situation happens. But then uh, lawmakers are uh, stiffly resisting this particular law 
uh, saying that um, there are concerns that uh, who would be held liable in terms of side effects of the vaccine. That has not been answered as yet. So uh, they are kicking against this particular proposed new law. Right. Uh, we'll go to Nigeria now. I see the bread makers of Nigeria going on strike for four days. What's behind the strike, Nabil? Well, it's because of inflation. Um, prices of food have become very expensive. And for bread makers, um, their ingredients in terms of cereals, flour and all that have also become extremely expensive. And they are complaining that they are not making any profits from um, their uh, business in terms of selling bread. Um, they want to the government to do something about tackling the inflation in the hike in protest against the current hardship in the country. And Ethan, I, I just googled Nabil. Inflation seventeen point seven one percent. Man, that's that's hard to do anything with. Let's let's go to uh, Benin. Uh, the auction. What's this? Auctioning off assets of an exiled tycoon. Who's Sebastian Ajavon? Exactly. So Ajavon, uh, he ran uh, presidential elections in 2016. Uh, he was an independent candidate, and then he placed third. And he later, I uh, mean, threw his weight behind another candidate, and that candidate won. But then he was handed a 20-year sentence uh, after he was charged with drugs and found guilty. So um, this particular auction of his property would total about 140 items belonging to him and it includes some Rolls Royce and luxury furniture and other big uh, I mean property uh, it's quite a big story out there in Benin Nita. Well you should buy one of those big couches Nabil and then send us a picture <laughs> so we can do that and uh, finally something else I want to ask you about the World Athletics Championships on at the moment are there any African medalists yet? Yes people are winning medals from Africa at the championship in uh, Oregon Eugene in the USA and it's a lot of excitement because there are top names that have really claimed some medals over there. For instance, Uganda, we have I mean Joshua Tsepke who has actually gotten some medal. He done he has been doing this long uh, distance running, this marathon and he won the country some medal of uh, ten thousand meters. Now aside him we have Jamaican uh, female athletes also doing so well. Uh, Shelly Ann Fraser Price won her first—I mean, her fifth World 100-meter title in uh, in the USA just last Sunday. And other Jamaican female athletes have also been winning medals. Uh, I mean, at the championships. Aside that, we've seen uh, I mean athletes from Morocco and also Kenya and um, Uganda also winning medals. Nathan. Nabil, thank you very much for your time. There he is uh, out of Ghana. That's Nabil Ahmed. Yeah, I was watching the uh, the finals of the 100 metres in the women that uh, Nabil was just talking about with Shelly-Ann Fraser-Price and the two other Jamaicans winning gold, silver, bronze, but perhaps rubbing, rub, rubbing it in how fast she was in the 200 metres that she was running. She had time to just adjust her hair because she didn't like how it looked and still managed to win very fast. Well, keeping it sporty after two impressive wins in their respective first round matches of the Farah Palmer Cup, Canterbury and Auckland meet in the feature game in Christchurch this weekend. Auckland coach Willie Walker told Barry Guy that while they managed to come out on top against counties with a lot of turnover ball, he's confident his side can play whatever game is needed to win. We really back our set piece and our structure. Again, we've got a, a number of experienced players mixed in with a, a lot of new up-and-coming stars, I suppose, and we want to play an exciting brand of football, but we also understand that when it's time to roll our sleeves up, we've got the group that can do that as well. That'll need to be done against Canterbury, who are always at the top of their game? Yeah, Canterbury have been the 
at the forefront of women's rugby for the last four to five years. And, you know, they got tipped up by Waikato last year, but they're still a class outfit, very well structured. They do the basics well, and we're going to have to be on top of our game to, to compete. And it's an exciting challenge for our group. Again, there's Blackfern's players on both sides of the field that'll be having a go at each other because potentially they're, they're lining up for the same spots in the upcoming Test Series. So it's exciting times. Some good matchups this weekend, Willie. None more so than at halfback. Your halfback, Mel Puckett, who's come up from Canterbury to play for you, is now going to face Kendra Coxedge, who she spent so many years behind uh, while she was down there. Any opportunity you get to measure yourself against the best players in, in the country, some of them in the world, has always got to be exciting. And it's a challenge that I know that our girls are looking forward to. Like I say, Canterbury have been at the top of the game for a long time and so we can get a good measurement as to where we are at this stage of the season. So you mentioned it before a bit with the World Cup coming up in Black Ferns. Have you noticed any sort of, you know, some edge or something this year? Yeah, I think there definitely is. Obviously, with it being in New Zealand also adds to, to the fact and I know that with the Black Ferns that have been, I think they've been fully professional now since the start of the year. There's been a, a, a massive increase in obviously their skill set, their conditioning, their game understanding, just because they're they're now full time, full time athletes. So there's always going to be an improvement, um, and we're just hoping that it filters down to the rest of the group that aren't quite at that stage, and they can see it as a pathway and, and something to um, strive for. This is your second season, and of course last year there was all of those disruptions, but uh, yep. you know, one round in, you can see development within the competition? Oh, massively. The growth over the last uh, three to four or five years has been massive, and it's only getting getting stronger and stronger. There's so many young girls that are playing at school level now that are coming out into club level and then obviously up into the Farrah Palmer Cup level and just the more exposure and the more time that they get to express themselves and learn the game, the better the game's going to be. That's Willie Walker. In other premiership games, Counties Monaco is going to play Wellington and Manawatu play Bay of Plenty while in the championship. Taranaki play North Harbour. Northland play Tasman, but the one that everyone cares about, the Hawks play Tuis. Let's go. Let's go, Tuis. Uh, playing Otago. Sorry, Otago. It is 19 past five. I'm Nathan Rarity, and you are listening to First Up on RNZ National. Coming up, weather, finance, a former hairdresser's, uh, hairdresser's birthday, and fruit of the week. Just going to talk about commitment here. We have many members of the First Up family from around the world, and they they get in there, you know, wherever it is is best for them. Uh, we speak to uh, one of them in the Mazda studio, the back of the car, because it sounds better. Today, the Minister of Fruit and Veggies has driven from his house to get better reception on the phone. It's Glenn Forsyth would Ted the dog, uh, and uh, they're here to talk about uh, all of your fruit and vegetable needs. Kia ora, Glenn, how are you? Good, thank you, Nathan. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Um, well, I mean, we had to talk about it sooner or later, Glenn. I believe that Brussels sprouts uh, are here. We'll get to that soon. Can can we talk garlic first? Why why is the garlic season? Why has that been a write-off? Yeah, we caught up with John Murphy yesterday for our intro today, owner, owner of Murphy's Garlic in the South Island. And sadly, due to 200 mils of rain at their peak fortnight at harvest time of their garlic, it's been a shocker this year for supply. However, they also grow a magnificent shallot, 
and these are in good supply right now. Johnny loves them in a stir fry, and something else a little different he suggests is to finely chop them, covering a slab of feta and lightly baking it. Now, as um, as vegetables.co.nz say, shallots are considered the gourmet onion and are preferred in French and Asian cooking. Mm. Store in a yeah, store in a cool, dark, well ventilated place, not in the fridge or a plastic bag. Now, while onions are lower in calories, shallots contain a higher amount of several vitamins and minerals. But back to Murphy's Garlic, however, on their website, www.garlic.co.nz, they saved some garlic and peeled them. Now, that's a hit with chefs in restaurants and at home. $30 for half a kilo, I see, which is a good price considering they are peeled, and they're available from the 28th of July. There is also black garlic on there, and naturally shallots, great price too. And if you still prefer bulbs, there is Californian garlic here in New Zealand stores now. All right, just for the listeners, you want to get a a big, uh, like a massive bit of mayonnaise, you put a couple of drops of soy sauce in it, you swish it around to mix it up a little, right? And then you get shallots, Glenn, and and you want to fry them and really crisp them up. And then you want to put that on top of your mayo, and that's what you put on top of chickeny things. Anything with soy with that on it is incredible. There you are. That sounds amazing. It is. But then on the other hand, Brussels sprouts. So uh, tell us about Brussels sprouts, why have they arrived? Um, yeah. What's going on? Are people buying them? Yeah, on our vegetable strip, I mean, we're getting it rough with the weather, snow, wind and rain. But lucky for us, two of the more popular greens, broccoli and cauliflower, haven't fallen over in supply just yet. Yams, kumara and pumpkin are all readily available as well. But word on the street is that pumpkin will tighten up quicker this year than last. Hothouse crops at the market this week have definitely dried up. The only one in average supply from that family is the Telegraph cucumber and beans non-existent. The last ones here from Australia got over $250 a carton at the wholesale market. Cabbages are short and outdoor lettuce quality is average at best. Talk with the hands-on David Nalder at Moore Wilson's in Wellington this week and he was saying they've got some nice quality fancy lettuces instead and a few radicchio from the Y wrapper which would be worth checking out. And finally, a vegetable, as you're saying there, Nathan, beautiful and sweet now, Brussels sprouts. We wanted to mention these at the end as check out some Brussels sprouts, bacon and shallot recipes online. I mean, as a side dish, it's amazing and fits in nicely with our morning intro today. Yeah. Um, I was hoping that you'd speak about um, finger limes. What are they? Are they the, is that what we, is that the old classic citrus Australisilica? Yeah, yeah, well, they popped up a few weeks ago, and and they're sort of back again for a little short burst. Uh, Several fruits in good supply this week across the wholesale floors were navel oranges, mandarins, kiwi fruits, avocados, and we treated ourselves to some Australian watermelon before they sold out and paid $14 retail for a quarter, which was about $2, uh, but beg your pardon, it was about two kilo in weight. Now, quite a rare fruit still, but slowly becoming more commercially available are finger limes from Gisborne. These were spotted at the Dunedin markets this week and again at Moore Wilson's. Uh, they are skinny, long, slender green things, and Mr Norder mentioned their insides resemble caviar. They have an intense flavour, and bars like using them when available in some cocktail recipes. Yeah. Uh, now, drum, yeah, yeah. Uh, drum roll now, please, sir. Okay, Take there them. we go. Glenn Forsyth and Ted the dog. What is your fruit of the week? Lemons. <laughs> oh, now, yeah, I, we, we can't say enough of lemons, I mean, in general, and in this household, we eat bucket loads of them through winter every night without fail by way of hot boiled water, lemon manuka honey, and ever so finely grated fresh ginger in a cup, and all down the hatch. But they're a great source of vitamin C, and lemon juice pre- uh, prevents cut apples, pears, and avocados from turning brown. Some great lemon recipes on the 5 Plus A Day website also, including a broccoli lemon pasta one, which has uh, shallots and garlic in that dish as well. So, yes.
it's all go. Yeah, oh, yes, yes, with a bit of lemon. Thank you very much. There he is, Glenn Forsyth, who, like we said, went, he went cross-country for you today, everybody. That's how much he cares, and that's why he's the Minister of Fruit and Veggies. Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life we like to call the 22nd of July. It's a bit of a musical Friday today. I'm trying to make Katrina be a calamari uh, because I've given her many musical things to play. Can you give me the music uh, for this one? Okay. It is a happy 81st birthday to the man behind this song, former hairdresser, I think the greatest of the funk artists. It's George Clinton. And uh, I saw a great documentary where they were talking about the crazy outfits they used to wear because they started out wearing suits. And he said, well, we toured so much, we couldn't keep our suits clean, so we just wore that stuff. And it took off. George Clinton, 81 years old today. Vicky Mackay has the day off today because it's Colin de Granholm's birthday, uh, and that's what she does whenever anything cricket happens. Uh, 36 years old today. Let's head into the world of drama. Uh, David Spade is 58. Willem Dafoe is 67. Danny Glover is 76, right? So I worked out, when he was Roger Murtagh in Lethal Weapon, in the first movie, goes, I'm getting too old for this. S-H-I-T. He was only 41 when he did that. Uh, Don Henley turned 76 uh, today, and the 19th Governor-General of New Zealand, it's his birthday, Anand Satyanand, uh, 79 uh, years ago he was born. Let's go to the Arts and Culture Desk. In 1959, the worst film ever made came out. It's called Plan 9 from Outer Space, and it was made by Ed Wood Jr. And I saw it once at a place that used to be here called Videon. I went, oh, I'm going to watch this. It's going to be so good. It's not even so bad it's good. It's horrible. But... There was a film made about that called Ed Wood in 1994. Stars Johnny Depp in it. Martin Landau is incredible in it. It's an incredible film. And on this day, for the first time in 1987, New Zealanders uh, went to the tills and they bought lotto tickets because it was the first lotto draw. 1987. Uh, I did some research for you. The most common number to have come up in lotto all time, according to lottoresults.co.nz, is the number 1, which has appeared in 16.58% of all the draws. There you go, and uh, that's the day that we like to call the 22nd of July. It's business, it's business time. That's what you're trying to say, you're trying to say, let's get down to business, it's business time. It's business, it's business time. We head to the business desk right now while Giles Beckford is with us. Kia ora, Giles, how well, are you? Nice Have you ever had a win on Lotto? Yes, but not a not a huge one. But I do know how many people I know one two that have won first division. Ooh. Yes, and uh, but you see, my friend's dad he owns the the luckiest lotto shop in New Zealand there in Hastings, um, oh. the Peter Dunkley Pharmacy. So that was why it was, you know it was quite common to hear of people. Why did they win it? It was you know that kind of thing. Well, people used to mail in all around the well, probably still do um, you know, all around the country, don't they? It has its own traffic light outside now, <laughs> and its own pedestrian crossing. I kid you not. There you go. There um, you go. Actually, let's keep it Hawks Bay. What's this good news for Napier? Well, 
We don't. I mean, we, let's be honest. Much of what we've spoken about in uh, recent months has been pretty grim. Yeah. And we talk about failure and things not working and them falling short of expectations. In Napier, the port of Napier, they're unveiling or officially opening their new wharf today. And you'd go, "Whoop de do!" Well, goodness me. Well, a sad man. But you know, there's some things about this. First of all, it future-proofs the wharf. Uh, it means Napier can take bigger ships, handle more cargo, and the rest of it, which is good for Hawke's Bay. Napier Port has actually become uh, probably about the fifth most important uh, port we've got in the country now, uh, which is, you know, not insignificant. Hmm. But, you know, one of the things I thought was really positive is that they've built it six months ahead of schedule. Now, I mean, you, you, you can't build a house. Uh, I mean, let's be honest, the delays we keep hearing about, but Napier Wolf have done it six months ahead of schedule, and they've done it within their budget. All right. Yeah, and we've been hearing, all we hear about writing stories about big cost blowouts and rising prices, and you can't get stuff. So kudos to them um, for having the idea, the vision, and making it work on time, well, actually even sooner than they needed it, and and within budget, right? So I was back at home over the summer, and we went over to West Shore Beach, which is the one that looks right out at the port. And I noticed they were they had a whole bunch of dredging things going on back then. So that must that's, have been that, that was, was the it. work in action, that's right? It's called ah. it's called the Six Wharf. Uh, it will get a Maori name later this morning in an official opening. Yeah. Um, and one of the interesting things is that they use giant suction things to keep the ships tied to the wharf. They what? don't tie them up. Giant suck, like like octopus technology. Like like that, your big. <laughs> you can hear it, can't you? <laughs> I can. <laughs> so there you are. Thumbs up to Napier. Um, kudos to them. The other thing I was going to talk about yes. here about inflation. Have you heard about shrinkflation? Well, when it's cold. <laughs> Don't go there, naughty no. boy. No, no. Uh, this is where they put uh, where uh, the manufacturers, producers put less in the same size packet and charge you the same money. Ah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this yeah, is where yeah, you yeah. get 400 grams where there used to be 500 grams, right? And there's a new term I just see during the rounds. It's greedflation, which is basically companies just upping their prices, not because they necessarily had to to cover their costs. They just thought they'd take advantage of inflationary times. It's like you're sort of using a smoke screen. You raise your prices when everybody else is raising their prices. Yeah. Uh, and that'll be an interesting thing to see just how some company earnings have fared uh, when we get into the earnings season uh, in the next few weeks, just to see if there's been a little bit of greedflation amongst some of our listed companies. Yeah. Well, there he is, and amongst the inside-out umbrellas of Wellington, that's Giles Beckford. Giles, thank you very much for your time. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report today at 10 to 7. Let's go to your money market now. Your New Zealand dollar is fully vaxxed and boosted. Like you. It's wearing a mask while it's being traded, and it's trading for 62.18 US cents, 90.15 Australian cents, 60.97 Euro cents, 51.96 British pence, 4.21 yuan, 85.80 Japanese yen, and 49.68 Indian rupees.
Clay Wilson, who's uh, with me this morning. Kia ora, man. How are you? Kia ora. Just admiring your your scarf here. Yes, this, I got this free with a, a FIFA video game back in the day. This is my EA Sports. It just reminds me of when you used to turn on a game and that guy used to, I'm not going to say, you EA might say EA Sports. It's in the game. That's it. I interviewed it. him. It was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, there was, now, you might have heard there in the money report that uh, the US dollar is now more expensive than a euro, which led to some great stuff that I saw on uh, Twitter this week, but also not just they had they had the US dollar being more than the euro, and then they had you know these preseason uh, Premier League teams touring around America, and they had Minnesota four, Everton nil, Charlotte one, Chelsea one. It's called soccer now, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's as, as American as it gets, isn't it? I thought that was brilliant. Our <laughs> way or the highway. Oh, how good! <laughs> hey, um, um, obviously the big big drama of the week's been the All Blacks. Situation. I yep. would say situation because it was just a loss, and then it's become more and more and more by not saying anything. Yeah, and what happens nowadays is the vacuum gets filled if you're not going to, um, you know, front and, and talk about it. I guess it's really just rolled on since the weekend into much more than mm. even we ever thought it could be based on you know losing, and that was pretty dramatic losing that series. Mm. Um, we haven't obviously heard from Ian Foster yet, but it sounds like today is going to be a big day and there's all sorts of reports floating around this morning. It sounds like Ian Foster's safe, but there's going to be a board meeting today, um, safe for now, mm. but the assistant coaches actually might be in the firing line here. And also Sam Kane, who's another one who's, you know, who some some people love him, some people not so 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 fussed on him, yeah. um, is stuff are saying that it's likely he's going to lose the captaincy. Um, so we might see a lot of big news today, uh, and it sounds like Ian Foster's going to front later on today after he presumably gets confirmed for now for the yeah. Rugby Championship. They've also got to name a squad for the Rugby Championship as well, which apparently is going to happen today. So a so, lot so of this is, Clay, So correct me if I'm wrong, this now is the new age of the selections though, right? Because I believe the last squad was the last one that Grant Fox will be one of the head selectors for. So I think it's Joe Schmidt now. Is, is involved in this. I don't know, he was obviously he was someone that people coveted for a while. Like, mm-hmm. hang on, hey, that guy beat the All Blacks with that team ever yeah. since then. And yeah. obviously he came back, he's got a family situation that means he's a bit time poor to take over as head coach. But sure. have you heard anything about his involvement in this All Blacks? Well, it sounds like his involvement is going to be more than they planned. He mm. was just, as you say, going to be a selector slash sort of um, analyst, you know, in the background. But it sounds like he might go on this trip to South Africa Mm. for the rugby championship and he's going to have a more hands-on role as far as the coaching goes. What that means for the other assistant coaches we may find out more today because it sounds like some of them might be in the firing line and sort of under the axe here. So Ian Foster's safe for now. We're not not sure about some of the other assistant coaches they're going to bring. Sounds like Joe Schmidt in and then Sam Kane might lose the captaincy yeah. and Sam Whitelock, Sam Whitelock come, comes back in who's obviously done the job before but still it's this is this is big stuff for the for the All Blacks we don't delve no. into this territory too often do we the greatest uh, tourist video in the world I believe in sport is Tour de France and I managed to trick my daughters into watching some with me uh, the other night there watching uh, Vingegaard just it's sitting right on the wheel of Pogaccia the whole way through it was fascinating because they're right in those mountain stages theater, I love them it? I yeah. love it yeah yeah I'm, I'm just constantly in awe of, of how ridiculous fit and just like these guys go out and they ride 200k and up these mountains and then they go and do it again 
yeah. again the next day. And then get, that's that's the thing that really blows my mind. Um, and it's just great to watch. Unfortunately for us, it's in yeah. the middle of the night, so you've got to be you've got to be equally as determined as the writers to yeah, to stay point, up and watch eh? it. But um, yeah, it's great, great sport theatre for sure. It is. Have a look, everyone. I think they're in the they were down south by uh, what do you call it down by Spain down there. Yeah, they're in the Pyrenees. They so just Pyrenees, finished tonight, so it. all but got decided overnight. So, yeah, yeah, it did. Cool. Mm. Thank you very much, Clay. Uh, there we are. Lots happening in the world of sport uh, here at First Up. Thank you. Clay, uh, 22 to 6, Nathan Rarity with First Up and RNZ National. Still to come, aged care workers doing 24-hour shifts. Uh, and after two days, uh, two decades, sorry, of spooking people out, New Zealand's spookiest spooky show, about to get spookier. <laughs> The professionals of Morning Report are up after six o'clock. Joining us is Susie Ferguson. Kia ora, how are you? Oh, kia ora, I'm well. How are you? I'm good. A lot of wind around. Obviously, you've had it. Do you get? Oh. I mean, do you get free trampolines arriving at your house? Like, how does it work? <laughs> well, uh, I mean, you could do. That's for sure. Um, you've, yeah, we've all seen those kind of videos from Wellington, haven't we? Of trampolines mm. bouncing down the road. I've never actually been faced with one, but it would not be an unusual sight, really. You yeah. think? You probably get a free car. I think flying over there. Um, it's it, it's been so windy. It's yeah. been psycho level wind, and for too long, frankly. Oh, so we're all going mad. Yeah, I saw some footage yesterday of a poor little seagull trying to fly at Lyle Bay, <laughs> and then the um, just Eastbourne as well getting smashed with those smashed. waves all the time. I was like, oh no. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, it, now that yeah. we've glummed up about the weather, what have you, what have you got today? Well, we're going to be talking about that on, on oh, yeah. the show. Funnily enough. Um, in many ways, because of things like the grounded flights, the cancelled ferries, people are stuck in the wrong places. Uh, so we will be hearing from Greg Foran of Air New Zealand, of course, a big backlog of people trying to get to and from the capital. Uh, so as that one starts to be unwound, we will hear the very latest on that. Um, also, as you were hearing there in the news, Joe Biden testing positive for COVID-19. We'll get the latest on the American president's situation. Uh, as for the rugby, now I don't really talk about the rugby too much because it was pretty bad last weekend, wasn't it? But it was a bummer. Um, yeah, Ian Foster's coaching job is looking pretty safe for now, but it seems that Sam Kane could be set to lose the captaincy mm. as a result of that loss to Ireland. Uh, and also we'll be talking to Efeso Collins. you probably heard about this one. Um, if you type in efesocollins.co.nz, you get taken to Leo, Mo- Leo Malloy's website. Yes. So we'll talk to Efeso Collins about that one on the show as well, just before 8 o'clock. But all of that is coming up. After six. Lovely. Thank you very much. Yeah, up after six. And as you heard, um, uh, Morning Report's going to be covering this off as well. Yeah, flights in and out of Wellington and also connected flights. Ferries as well. What does today have in store? Well, to tell us, we're joined by Weather Watch's Philip Duncan. Kia ora, man. How are you? Good morning, buddy. I'm very good. How are you? Good. So lots of rain, uh, wind blowing everywhere. Uh, yesterday, tell me, is it still raining and is there still a lot of wind around? The um, the worst of the rain is certainly easing now, and around the capital it's just uh, a patchy sort of rain which is mostly falling um, out towards Wired Upper, and that will be off and on a bit this morning, but then it should ease. The worst of the wind, the gales are still just hovering around, but they'll taper off across today, so it just sort of every hour or two, it just progressively gets a little bit easier, um, uh, well, the winds get a bit lighter and ease, and high pressure is rolling on in. 
Nice. So um, that means, now I'm learning from whenever I speak to you, this is great, so that means the weather system is moving on. Tell me, is, where is it at the moment, and it, does it look like, is it a fast one or one of them slow ones that hangs around? The high or the low? Yes. <laughs> well, the low that brought the weather yesterday, it was, it's a low that's out near the Chatham Islands, and it's a very messy one, just coincided with you know the, the southerly winds, the swells, everything just all at the same time, and that's why we saw Wellington and Wider Upper being hit. So that low is moving away, being pushed away, being bulldozed away by this enormous area of high pressure, which stretches all the way up to Queensland and all the way down into the Southern Ocean. That's going to come in today, tomorrow, and bring frosts and light winds and drier skies to most places for the next few days, all before the next system comes down from uh, the Coral Sea, Queensland area next week. What? What? No, don't tell me about that one yet. It's <laughs> got a settled weekend for many places, and especially in the South Island. If you're going to go skiing, I mean, this is wow, right. the weather should be really good. But it'll be minus fives, minus six, minus sevens through the Southern Alps this weekend. Proper winter kind of weather. Yeah, but you're high and you're dry and it's lovely out there as well. And also the school holidays is over, you get a decent run. Um, tell me this, I, I saw the footage of Eastbourne and Wellington getting a whole lot of water smashing up over it. Big ocean swells around for with, with all this wind about there, Phil? No, most of that's gone. So that, that, I mean, yes, it's still not going to be a good day out on the water, but those extreme, you know, significant 10 to 12 metre waves we were seeing yesterday, uh, they moved along quite fast up around Wider Upper Hawke's Bay, that, that main big pulse. So that's moving with that low out past the Chathams, moving away from us. But there's still a very strong southerly today, big waves, big swells going with that, especially into the North Island on the southern and eastern coastlines. That should gradually ease back this weekend as that high rolls in, but it'll still be very choppy. Wonderful. Uh, Philip gathers it all up and makes it really easy to understand there at weatherwatch.co.nz. Go and have a look at that one. Thank you very much, sir. Philip Duncan, uh, who's been with us here at First Up. Well, the Aged Care Association says that staff shortages in the sector have reached crisis points. Some workers doing shifts of up to 24 hours straight. How do they do that? Adding to their woes, pressure uh, brought by outbreaks of COVID and also winter bugs are forcing some facilities into lockdown. And as Matthew Tunison reports, all of this means yet another scary and often lonely time for residents. When COVID found its way into New Plymouth's Coronation Lodge rest home three weeks ago, 19 of its 22 residents tested positive for the virus. Facility manager Aman Sodi says it was a tough time for everyone. But thanks to the vaccine and the diligent efforts of staff, all have since recovered. Most of our residents had only flu-like symptoms, so they had the COVID, they stayed in their room, they went out for walk and stuff by themselves, but not mingling with others. But they did manage it pretty well, eating well and everything. Just they had a fever and a uh, um, little bit of uh, like a cold-like symptoms. But we, we got through it pretty pretty good. Many of the country's care homes are battling outbreaks of Omicron. According to Health New Zealand, 672 aged care residents had COVID-19 as of Monday. A total of 726 people have died in aged care facilities since the start of the pandemic. And sadly, that number is certain to rise with an average of eight residents currently dying with the virus every week. This means care homes are taking extra precautions and residents are spending more time in isolation. We didn't use the communal areas at all for the residents. So like uh, the dining area and uh, our um, activity areas were totally shut down. 
Um, so residents were in their room, and we've got a backyard area, which is so residents were using it in their own time, but no mingling with other residents. And we encouraged all the family members to contact their loved ones by either the Zoom call or the phone call. But we still granted visits on compassion-based. So like if any of the residents were really sick or if they had any family emergency or something and family wanted to see, so we always uh, allowed them having a visit outside, in the outside area, not coming in the room. Aged Care Association Chief Executive Simon Wallace says that as facilities try to shore up their COVID defences, the sector faces chronic staff shortages. We are short more than 1,200 registered nurses, so you know that's nearly 25% of our workforce. We should have 5,000 uh, nurses in, in aged care when we're fully staffed. And that has meant that we have had to close across the country more than 900 beds. So like in many other parts of the health sector, we are experiencing chronic staff shortages and we don't use the word crisis lightly in painting that characteristic of what is happening in the sector. But you would use the term to describe the situation now as a crisis? Uh, It is absolutely a crisis. We have a crisis in, in, in the aged care sector. Primarily, he says this is because nurses are going to work in public hospitals where they can earn up to $33,000 more. That's in addition to a general shortage of health workers and the impact of winter illness on staff numbers. On the ground, this means care workers are putting in huge shifts to ensure residents get the care they need. It's not uncommon for us in the association to hear of, of our nurses working Uh, two, sometimes three shifts in a row. You know, some of them may be working uh, 24 hours straight. Uh, That is not a sustainable situation. Aman Sodi says while his small care home has coped so far, it hasn't been easy. It has been hard to recruit new staff for a while. Um, We are fortunate that we've got some staff who are really good and they love their job, they have a passion for it, and we're really grateful for it that Every time that we get into a situation where we get short staff, they um, they usually pick up extra shifts and they, they go through it. It has been really hard on the staff as well because um, the recent changes came in from Ministry of Health that they don't, um, if you've got a household family member who is, uh, who's got a COVID, you don't have to isolate anymore. Mm. So that's where we've seen challenges from the staff member where, um, they had to use their, their sick leave for those days if they had to look after them because they won't be eligible for the um, the COVID support. Aged Care Commissioner Carolyn Cooper says care homes are doing their best, but the staff shortage means they're doing it very tough at the moment. Yeah, look, it's a really difficult balance for providers to make decisions to actually lock down facilities. They know the value of the interaction with family and friends and Fano for older people, and the older people really reliant and, and appreciate the visits that they receive as well. But it's got to be balanced with safety for the older vulnerable population. Yeah, that was Aged Care Commissioner Carolyn Cooper eating that report from Matthew Tunison. After 17 years of screams and scares and no doubt the odd skid mark, the founders of Spookers have sold the horror theme park. But if you're disappointed you're going to no longer be able to be chased around by a blood-splattered zombie, have no fear. 
it could actually be about to get even bigger and scarier. Leonard Powell has the story. Based in the old nurse's home at the former King's Seat Psychiatric Hospital in southwest Auckland, Spookers has stood the test of time. Since opening to the public back in 2005, steady streams of thrill-seekers have come through its sinister-looking doors on Friday and Saturday nights. The outgoing managing director, Julia Tukiri, started Spookers alongside her parents, Beth and Andy Watson, and partner, Jamal Tukiri. She says the idea for the haunted attraction was hatched more than 25 years ago. My parents had a farm on State Highway 1 in Martin, in the Rangatake. Mum had been studying agritourism and was trying to think of something they could do on the family farm type of thing. So we started the first amazing maze and maze in New Zealand. That was really popular. Started doing moonlit mazes at night. My dad would scare the staff. And so Corn Evil was born, which is our haunted horror maze that we have done in the past. I used to live in the UK, came back here and opened one in Tikofara and had that for three years. Basically outgrew it so we knew the demand was there for haunted horror entertainment. Like any business, Spookers has evolved over time and as demand has grown, so has the level of the scares delivered to its customers. We started with just the haunted house. Now we have four attractions that are open. We have the haunted house, the woods, Disturbia and the fog. Yeah, we do a lot of stuff and we've certainly added to our team, our family. Uh, At the moment there's around 120 scarers on our books. Ms Tukuri's father, Andy Watson, is now the mayor of the Rangatike district so is less focused on the business while she wants to pursue the next adventure. I asked what the highlights have been for her during her time running Spookers. Of course, you know, you go through at night and you watch the customer reactions and that like, incredible. You see customers that just absolutely freeze, like ones that throw each other in front of them, you know, run straight bang into a wall, you know. But I think... The memories that are going to stick with me forever are our staff, our amazing, incredible, unique and diverse staff. Enter Armageddon Expo, which has just purchased the horror theme park. Founder Bill Gerritz says he's delighted to be involved and Spookers fans can rest assured that it will continue delivering top quality scares under new management. Spookers, as it stands right now, is spectacular. I mean, you walk through it and you think, oh, this has been around a while, but it it's terrifying and amazing and, and just a heart-wrenching fun as you go through it. So what we're looking to do is, is just build upon that rather than take away from it. We want to add a few new events. We've got a um, haunted evening tour that we're, we're going to start doing and uh, Dungeons & Dragons events at Spookers, utilising the venue a bit more. But we're also looking to add some themed months, like a Dracula month and a, a Necromancer month or a Cthulhu month or something like that, where we bring in some new items and, and shake things up just a little beyond what's there already. Mr Gerritz started the Comic-Con-style Armageddon Expo 27 years ago and puts on regular expos around the country. He says he's no stranger to moving with the times. If we've had to adjust, I mean, there's always things that, that happen with that. It just means information follows very quickly, so you need to make sure that you're keeping up to date with how things are moving and, and what people are interested in. Like, we're, we're, Tauranga, we're doing a, a Tauranga show next weekend, and we've been uh, fortunate enough to have a, an actor from Stranger Things, and the response is just huge at the moment. Again, that's all timing and a response through social media. It's keeping an option on what happens and how you do things. 
For departing Spooker's boss, Julia Tukere, it's the perfect fit. I think entertainment in New Zealand at the moment is really like popping off, you know. People are ready to get out and have fun, experience new things. And certainly I think that Armageddon are the best possible purchases that we could ever have. The synergies between our brand, perfect, and they get it. You know, they get the entertainment industry. I was trying to explain to the staff last night. And I was like, you know, we couldn't have hoped for better. As for her plans, Miss Tukiri says she has no idea. But one thing is for sure, she's proud of what her whānau managed to create at Spookers. Yeah, I guess we're a destination. You can use, you know, Spookers as a landmark for places that are near here and people don't know where that is, but if you say Spookers, they go, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty cool. You know it is. Good story, Leonard. Uh, We head out there at Easter. They do this thing where they have a big maze and then they go around and they drop little marshmallow eggs that you can uh, go to. Very spooky on the way. Finally this morning, some of your feedback. Someone says, I want to ask Giles Beckford, do companies have no moral compass? That's a good point. And uh, here's another one. On the story of the deleted texts, oh, this is uh, about the Secret Service in America, there is a precedent in the White House 50 years ago. It was tapes that were erased. Yeah, that's uh, from uh, Dunstan Sheldon in Rotatuna in Hamilton. Well, that's all for First Up this week. Take us with you this weekend by downloading First Up, the podcast. We thought that... uh, finishing on that story about spookers there's no better song to finish on than this one morning report is next with Susie and Corin congratulations to all our RNZ winners at the radio awards yesterday they won all the best awards the very best ones that they were so which are the ones you really want to win and it's these ones from all of us here at First Up have yourselves a fantastic weekend we're back in your ears on Monday take it away Vincent Price take it away are closing to seal your doom and though you fight To stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mere mortal can resist the evil of the thriller.